Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. We're in the second series, uh, second second uh, session of our series that he's still got the whole world in his hands. It's easy in the world that we live in today to forget that principle, to think that we are spinning out of control and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That that by itself is a true statement. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we proclaim that there is a God who does. There is a God who doesn't only know what is going to happen tomorrow, but believe it or not, he is the author of this world. And so he uses even troubling times bad times, difficult circumstances to bring him the utmost glory in the big picture. And so we're looking at that. We're learning what that means for us. We're seeing what, uh, uh, what, what, what these days, how they bring us to know God better. One of the things I see and one of the things I'm reminded of in this time is that uncertainty just tends it does what it tends to cause us to look up. You know, when things are going great, when, when there's more money in our retirement accounts and business is going well and our kids are doing fabulous and our marriage is rock solid and our cars are running fine and our house doesn't have any leaks in them, when everything is going aces in our lives, we tend to be pretty self-focused, don't we? Or at best, we tend to just look around, uh, around us at the people closest to us and, and lean into them. But very rarely in those seasons do we look up and look for God and look for direction from God. But in times of uncertainty, it, for most of us, that's what ends up happening. I mean, you know, I could ask you right now or just, just even by a show of hands, uh, how many people here can say, you know, Tony, there was a season of my life that was pretty difficult uh, pretty trying. And during that season, I found that my walk with God kind of got reestablished or got reset. Uh, I got more serious and, and dug in a little deeper in my faith. I mean, is there anybody in this room that can say, yeah, that, that was my life. That was me. You know, there's several hands that just pop up and go, that's me. You know, when, when tough times happen, uh, you know, I, I tend to look to God. You know, I remember several years ago, and you guys remember this too, the Virginia Tech shootings, that tragic situation where not just one home or not just one dorm or not just one building uh, was terrorized by a, a, a crazed gunman, but a whole campus was locked down. And this, this young student, this young man was going around to try to try to kill and try to maim and try to hurt as many people as he possibly could touch in the shortest time possible. And like you, I found myself glued to the TV as this was unfolding and as people, as, as uh, press folks and officers and, 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 and even psychologists were all trying to wrap their minds around this. I remember the early days and, and even after those, those, that first day when they would show video of the police coming in and pulling out the dead bodies and trying to rescue as many people that were injured and bleeding out on the floors. One of the things that was not paid attention to, uh, was not talked about by the pundits, was not reported very, very widely on the news, but something I noticed was this. I saw 
yes, I saw the, the ambulatory uh, people coming in and, and, and getting people on stretchers. I saw the police picking up sometimes people just in their arms and getting them out of there. But in the background, I saw groups of students that were clearly traumatized, dealt with, they were shell-shocked, they were terrorized, they, 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 were just, they, they had the thousand-yard stare, and they just didn't understand what was happening. But what they were doing was they were in the yard there and in the scene around those buildings, they were huddling up to do what? Pray, pray. They were praying in that time of tragedy. You know, there, notice there was no, no ACLU group that came to say, oh, 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 by you praying, that's, that's impeding upon someone else's civil liberties. You can't, you can't do that. There was no humanist authoritarian or there was no atheist professor that marched his way out there and said, don't you people know this is a public university? These are public grounds and your display of religion is obnoxious to us and it's offensive to us? No. Why is that? Why was it that, that all of a sudden everyone was spiritual on that campus for just even a few moments? Why was it that, that prayer was something that was sought in those times? Because the reason why was because uncertainty tends to cause us to look up. It causes us to look to God. I mean, you think about this. We talked about it last week, but the truth is pick your favorite Bible story, you know, um, and, and, I, and, and now's the time where everyone's like, uh, the, the introverts are like, I should not have come to church today because Tony's going to draw me out. So I'm not going to call on someone. I'm going to let someone raise their hand who feels comfortable talking to me, okay? Uh, you, everyone have their favorite Bible story in their head. If, if you're a new person, uh, and I'm looking around, I don't see that in this room today, but if you're online and you're like, you know, I really don't have a, uh, a Bible story, that's okay. Just hang in here with us, the rest of us. Does everyone in this room have their kind of favorite Bible story that's something they think about or something they really like to hear often? This means yes. This means no. This means we need to have to start over the sermon again, and that means you're going to have to stay here longer. So, so yes, do you have your favorite Bible story? Yeah, yeah, okay. Dave, how about this? Dave's a safe one, he, even though he's the greatest introvert in the room, but he's also paid to be here, so there you go. Uh, Dave, what's your favorite Bible story? Jonah and the whale. Oh, so, easy one. That's almost like a softball for me, right? Think about the, think about the uncertainty in Jonah's life as he is inside the whale's stomach, right? Uh, the uncertainty here, the tragedy. You see the conflict that's already written into this story. And, and we're sitting here now, all of us, when we're reading Jonah now, we're not sitting on the edge of our seat because we know how it ends. But think about it. If you were the first time you heard that story, you're, you're like, what's, what's going to happen to this guy that is in a whale's stomach? Is, is God going to deliver? Is God going to come through for this guy? How can God come through for him? You, you see all the conflict that's just in there. Jonah and the whale, almost every story I can think of in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, conflict all over it, right? That's the reason why it's so easy, and that's the reason why we should, in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of our uncertainty, in the middle of our difficult times, the first place we should run to is the Scriptures, because the Scriptures know uncertainty and they know difficulty so much better than anything else and other any other resource we could possibly turn to, because the Bible is the record of how God deals with humanity in the middle of the trial. 
in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the disease, in the middle of the death, in the middle of the panic, in the middle of the uncertainty, we can look at how God handles himself and how God handles us. Last week we talked about that really we have nothing to fear because ultimately God is an expert in taking care of his people in uncertain times. And even when we don't feel it, God is at work. But, and I mentioned this last week, knowing those facts doesn't make it easier, does it? Knowing those things still makes us, as I asked or mentioned last week, I said, okay, knowing all those things, hey, you know what, Tony, doesn't help me keep my job. It doesn't help me keep my kids in school. It doesn't help me pay my mortgage or my rent or doesn't pay for my food bills. And, and we kind of, we talked about that. So the question for today that we're dealing with is if those things don't help us, knowing those those truths don't help us uh, in the middle of the uncertainty, what should we do? So what should we do when we are in uncertain times? If, if, beyond just walking around with a pious look on our face and going, well, we know that God's in control. We know that even though I'm scared to death, even though I'm uncertain, uh, even though I am uh, struggling here, we know it, so there. What, what, what do we do? Well, good news for you. If you walked away, especially if you walked away last week and you were frustrated because you're like, you didn't give me anything tangible. You just gave me some ideas here. Well, good news. I'm going to give you something very tangible, a concrete answer, a very specific answer on what do we do in the middle of the uncertainty. What are you to do today if you find yourself struggling? What are you to do today if you find yourself, as you find yourself in difficult circumstances, uncertain times? And, and, and here I'll just say this up front. To those people who are watching online, who are maybe just still kind of, you're just checking God out, and you're hearing what I'm saying, you're a bit of a skeptic, and you're saying, ah, I don't know that I believe this 100% of the time. I'll, I'll say this. I get, I get what I'm about to say is very hard to swallow, but let me tell you where it's coming from is not from me who had life pretty easy. Uh, as I said last week, I recognize that, uh, that I didn't have, I, until 2020, I never had a year that I said, boy, I can't wait till this year goes away. And I recognize that a lot of people have, so I realize I've had a pretty good life. I've had a pretty easy life when compared to so many people out there. But understand that this message and, and the, the truths that come from today don't come out of my mind, don't come out of my insight, but they come from a man who understands uncertain times. They come from a man who knows what it's like when the bottom drops out of his life. You see this man's the Apostle Paul, and at the time that he's writing in the passage that we're going to read, he finds himself in jail looking down the barrel of a death sentence. Matter of fact, Scripture says, or not Scripture, I'm sorry, history says that anywhere between one to four years after writing this book, which is the book of Philippians, is where we're going to be at today, anywhere between one to four years after that, he was taken on a walk, literally, which is normal for people of high position. When they were executed, it would usually not be a public spectacle, but there would be three or four men show up at their door and say, it's time to take a walk. And so, so these three or four soldiers showed up to Paul's home that he was kept at, and they walked approximately three to four miles outside the city. Paul bowed his head, bowed himself, bowed his knees, and, and a sword was driven uh, through his shoulder blades to ultimately take his head off of his body. Paul was 
knew the certainty that that day was going to come when he wrote the book of Philippians. Not only did he know that, not only was he jailed and knew that he was going to be executed one day, Paul also experienced that many of his friends during this time, what did they do? They fled. They abandoned him. They got away from him because they were afraid they were going to get arrested. And then also, not only did he experience that, Paul's enemies, and he did have many enemies as he went throughout the, the known world, as he went throughout southern Europe and started churches. Uh, there were many people who spread lies about Paul and talked untruths about him. Well, his arrest and his, his sentencing, his jailing, emboldened those people to spread more lies. So here Paul is hearing stories about people saying vicious things about his name and, and attacking him. Uh, this is a man who during this time understands what uncertainty looks like. And he writes to the Philippian church, the church in the city of Philippi, and he gives some very, very interesting instructions for us, for them and for us. And so I invite you, if you have a copy of scriptures, to look to Philippians uh, chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 4. And all we're going to do during this time is just look at this passage and unlock some of these words today to see that they have application to you, to you and to, to me. Okay? Uh, and, and, and let's take a look here. Philippians 4, 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, immediately, those of us who have been raised in church, we go into super spiritual mode, and we think of the term rejoice, and we think there, there's some kind of incredible spiritual content here that's just not, you know, I can't really put my finger on it. Well, let's just make this easy here. Rejoice, he's talking about, Paul's talking about a state of happiness. He's saying quite literally, be glad, be glad, be glad in God. Be, make, when you think of God, may that make your heart glad. May that make your heart happy. Now, see, that's difficult even for the most sincere Christian to really understand, in, especially in America. We have in America a difficulty with this, and the reason being is because we have so much stuff, right? We have so much stuff to be glad about. We have so much stuff to, to rejoice over. So think of it this way. This will help you understand what Paul's talking about. Uh, you could say it this way. You could say, rejoice. This exercise, we're going to do this exercise here. I'm going to ask you to put something else in the place of in the Lord, okay? So here's the example. Rejoice in your job, right? There's some of us that could be like, yeah, I do that. I love my job. I wake up, and what I experience every day is awesome. Uh, rejoice in the raise that you received. Rejoice uh, in the fact that you, you earned a sales bonus or you, sold, you made a deal happen in your work. Rejoice on the fact that you got that second date. She said yes to you a second time, or he said yes to you a second time. Rejoice in that second marriage. Rejoice in the new car, right? You see, for us, we understand when I, when I talk to you about rejoicing in that new piece of property, rejoice in that new home you have, you're like, I get that. I get that. We're, we're used to that, that kind of rejoicing, aren't we? Well, Paul is saying, rejoice in God. What a beautiful picture. When there is nothing else in your life, when everything else has fallen out, you can still rejoice in the person of God. You see, that's what we do every day when we sing. We're, we're, what we're doing is we are reflecting on God's goodness 
and his mercy in life. And we're doing that until our emotions catch up with us. You, you see, so when I'm singing that song that, that is usually based in Scripture and is telling about the truth of God's goodness and his mercy and how he interacts with us and how he interacts with me, maybe I'm sitting there at first in that song and maybe my heart's nowhere near there. Maybe I'm not even in the mood to worship. But you know what happens usually, usually? As I continue to sing that song, as I continue to think about those truths in my heart, I find myself beginning to do what? Connect with that song. And I find that that song and the the truths that are contained therein have a way of bending my emotions, my mind, so that they're in the direction of God's mercy and God's grace. As I said, that's, that's one of the reasons why we sing. Singing songs helps us to take our emotions, take our mind, take our heart, and bend them towards the things of God's mercy and His grace. For the record, you know, because you find yourself saying, you know, when I come to church on Sunday and I walk away, I'm just a little bit more uplifted. Well, did you know that you can do that also in your car? You can do that in your home. You can tune in to worship songs. You can tune in to the Scripture and allow those things to just flow over you in such a way that they begin to bend your emotions. What do I mean by emotions being bent? I'm saying, okay, my emotions, I wake up and I see the headlines of the day and I am deeply discouraged and I'm fearful and I'm concerned and I'm upset and my sense of justice has been contorted. And as I begin to allow God's scripture and as I begin to hear the truths of his word and they flow into my heart, those areas of concern, those areas of frustration, those areas of fear, and panic and dread, they begin to bend. They begin to bend. My heart bends towards the direction of something as good as God's mercy and His grace. Okay, that's verse 4. Verse 5 continues on, and Paul writes, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, uh, some translations, some older translations, and we'll say, we'll they take the word, they don't use the word gentleness, they use the word forbearance, okay? Forbearance is a word that really means nothing to us today. Forbearance is an old English word to describe, it describes character. Paul is saying, let your character, let your character, let your, those, and all those things that go with character, uh, kindness, uh, gentleness, uh, self-control, mercy, kind speech, how you treat one another. Let those things be evident to all people around. What is Paul saying? Paul notices, and he's telling the truth. He's, he's, you know, he's in, he knows what real life is, and he's saying this in this, in this verse. He's saying, you know, in, in difficult times, it's easy for you to have a little bit of a short fuse, isn't it? Let's face it. Last year, how many of us can say, you know, my temper has flared up more than I appreciate or care to admit? How many times can we say, you know, I found myself a little more on edge. I find myself ready to, to get into an argument with my spouse. I find myself quicker, quicker to flip the bird to someone who cuts me off in traffic. I find myself 
ready to tell my boss off a little bit more. I find myself a little bit quicker to get into arguments with people around me than I did six months ago or a year ago or five years ago, whatever the time frame is. Most of us could raise our hands to that, couldn't we, if we were telling the truth? But because I'm a man of mercy today, I'm not going to ask you to admit that in front of all of your friends and in front of the Lord himself, right? But we know where we're all at here, okay? And Paul is saying, hey, I recognize during this time that that's very easy to happen, so I'm giving you some instruction here. Don't do it, is what he says. Don't do it. Let your kindness show. Let your kindness show. Why is that important? Because that shows a radical difference. Hear this clearly. Those of you who are a little quicker to bite off people's heads and you know who you are, and you're going, I wonder if Tony's talking to me. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am talking to you right now. Uh, Understand that one of the greatest witnesses you can give to the world around you is in unkind circumstances, you are a kind person. You realize that? Because the world speaks and the world says, hey, you know what? When everyone's chewing on you and everyone's punching at you, it's okay to punch back. It's okay for you to be as unkind to the people around you as they are to you. That's what the world says. And guess what? When someone comes and says, you know what? I'm not going to play that game. And you can punch me, but I'm going to still be kind to you. They take notice. They take notice. You can push back on me and say, oh, Tony, you're just being a pansy right now. You're just, you're just playing, you're just, you're playing into what they want you to do. Well, I guess Jesus was too when he was saying, hey, if someone slaps you on the face, turn your other cheek and let them slap you again. I guess Jesus was being a pansy also when he was saying, hey, when people are throwing the utmost hate and vitriol at you, don't do it. Don't play that game with them. Why was he doing that? Why was he saying that? Not so that we could be pious and we could talk about how much better we are morally than people around them, but because Jesus knew that when a world that's watching to see if the truth of the gospel is real, and when he sees that, when people see that there's real kindness happening, even when there shouldn't be, do people do what? They take notice. And a difference happens in their lives. And so Paul is reminding us, he's saying, don't let your hard times erode your character. Hear that clearly. I'll say it again because some of you might need to write that down and you might need to put that in the forefront of your, your, your lobe here. Don't let your character be eroded by hard times, friends. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about quite plainly. Uh, don't, don't say, okay, I'll be honest when, when I've got a lot of money in the bank. If I got a lot of money in the bank, I'll be honest. And when I see that someone's maybe given me, when, when a, a bank teller gave me $20 more, well, I'll give it back because I don't need that money. But, but oh, this, it's tough now. So you know what? If I, can, if I can get some money in a dubious way, if I can short the, the, the government in my taxes, if I, can, if I can cheat a friend or cheat a neighbor, then, then I'm going to do that because hard, it's hard. It's hard times right now, and everyone understands. No, don't be that kind of person. Don't allow your character to be a reflection of your circumstances because that's not who we are. Why? Well, Paul speaks it. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Hear this. Paul knows that he is about to die, and he's saying, the Lord is near. Paul's, many of Paul's friends ran out on him. Paul can say, the Lord is near. What I would consider one of the most painful things, and that is when your name, when your character gets drugged through the mud by liars and cheats and, and people that are scandalous, and, 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 you know, and, and people are believing those statements. To me, that's, 
That's more painful than being jailed. Paul is in that scenario right now, and he's able to say, the Lord is near. Hey, friends, I want to just give you this. If you've forgotten it or if you're just letting this, this fact kind of you know, go off into the sides, God has not left the building, okay? So you find that the world is hurtling out of control. I say this to you. God has not left the building. You're wondering why justice isn't being met in your life or in our world around us. God has not left the building. Let's go on to the next passage here, the next verse. 4, verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let's just take this verse apart piece by piece. Do not be anxious about anything. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, quit worrying. Quit worrying. How many of us have been told that? By, by a spouse, maybe, or a friend? Maybe your pastor has said it. Quit, you know, you got a situation you're in right now and you're just really struggling, and that person, maybe your, your wife or your husband, says, Would you just stop worrying about it? By a show of hands here, how many really love it when your spouse or your pastor tells you, Hey, that thing that you've been so worried about and that thing that you probably justifiably should be worried about, just stop it. How many, how many love that advice? How, how many here? Just like, man, thank you. Oh, uh, you guys are strange. I'm going to tell you right now because most people hate that advice. Doug, can we create a song for it maybe? You know, can, can a song go with that, right? That's the worst thing in the world that any of us can say to you, right? You, you'd be like, if I could quit worrying, I would quit, right? If I could stop, believe me, I don't like to worry. But for the, that's another sermon because there's some people that do like to worry. Whole another story there. But, but most of us are like, man, I'd, I want to have peace in my life. If I could stop by, by just saying stop, I would stop. stop. Stop telling me to stop, you know? And so, so right now, but, but let's go deeper here. Paul is saying, stop worrying, but instead replace it. Replace it through what? Prayer and petition. Matter of fact, he goes on, I kind of jumped over here in verse 6. In verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. So every situation is the idea that this is a universal principle. In other words, what Paul is about to tell us is something that will work everywhere in life. Not just if you find yourself jailed in a Roman prison system and, uh, and you're a Mideastern uh, apostle who's starting churches in Europe, right? It's not just this situation this works, but every situation, Paul says, we can get into a situation, we can get into a scenario where we no longer allow anxiety to rule the day. We no longer find ourselves worrying, but we, we present our request to God. We pray, we petition with thanksgiving in our heart. Now, right now, I'm going to just say this. If you, you know, many people here are experienced in the Word of God and you, know where, you think you know where I'm headed with this. You think you are about to hear me say, hey, quit worrying and instead just pray. Pray more. And the reality is this. You're saying, I have been praying, Tony. I have been praying about this scenario, and it has not helped me. I am still worrying about this. I'm going to say something, and I'm going to apologize to you because I can say this, that, that there have been many times I've preached this verse, and I have said, stop worrying and instead pray more. You know what I've learned through some careful study and doing some word study here? That if you think this verse is telling us, stop worrying and pray more, guess what? You're wrong. This verse is not telling us. And so for you to say, I have been praying, 
I have been saying, God, would you fix this? Would you take care of this? Would you deal with this? And my anxiety is still there. And you think that, well, I'm living this verse out, so why isn't God honoring his promise? Here, I got something to say to you. And this, this is not, I'm not blasting you because this is where I've been at until I started understanding this verse better. We haven't been living this verse out. We haven't been honoring this. This passage is not saying stop worrying and just pray more. And, and follow me here, okay? Let's reread this passage so we understand because there's some key things here that we just we, we overlook. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request to God is the linchpin in this teaching and in this thought. Present. Present, if you go back into this Greek word, another, another word that is, is synonymous with present that helps us think through this is, is to, to reveal. Reveal. So you're going, okay, what's the difference? Well, present or reveal, either one. Think of it this way. Like when you're, you know, have you ever had to do a report maybe at school for a, for a, a degree? Or maybe you had to do a report for your work and you were presenting your findings to people around. You were revealing to the people around you something that they did not know. Paul is saying this. He's saying when you give your request to God, present them as if there's something that God does not realize or know. But the truth is, God knows what's going on in our lives. He knows the circumstances we're in. He knows our hearts better than, better than ourselves. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, spend the time necessary to understand what is your deepest desire of your heart. You see the request, God, I need a job. I need a job. And God's saying, I know you need a job, but why, why do you need that job? What's driving you to create the anxiety for that job. God, I need my kids to do well in school. I'm, it's causing me to be anxious because my son or daughter is about to flunk out, and I'm so frustrated with that. And God's saying, I know, I know that you need that, but why are you being so anxious about this? You see, here's the reality. The reality is uncertainty tends to surface our deepest insecurities. That's why anxiety is hitting us during this time in this season with, with pandemic stuff and economic stuff and, and, and political stuff, and then on top of it, our own personal things of, of, of dealing with illness or disease or loss or whatever, all of those things. When we are in uncertain times, those, those uncertain times tend to bubble up in our lives our deepest insecurity. And what Paul is saying in this verse is not just pray more, but he's saying, in your prayer, in your prayer time, stand before God and dig up what are the deepest insecurities. What are the things that are causing you to be anxious? And he goes on in verse 7. And the, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is this, is God is going to guard, he's going to stand watch over you as you're in the middle of this experience. 
And I don't know about you, but so often I pray, God, give me a, you know, I pray, God, give me a job, give me a job, right? Or God, make this situation right. Here's the reality. Do, which do you, would you prefer? Do you want God to stand guard over your job? Or do you want God to stand guard over you? Do you want God to stand guard over your kids' grades and the teacher that is assigning that grade to them? Or do you want God to stand guard over your heart and over your mind? Because that's what he's promising if you go this direction. Now, I get, I get, we just, we, we're, we're out of time almost, but I just, we, we're still kind of early and I just feel like we got to, we got to, you know, I realize this is esoteric what I'm saying and it's, it's philosophical. And so we could walk away going, Hmm, deep thought. Yeah, good thought. Yeah, I never thought about that before. And then you walk away, you go, but I don't know how to apply it. So I don't know what it means. So okay, I'll just I'll just file that away as an interesting thought from Northbridge Church. Good job, Tony. You know, way to come up with that one. Here's, here's how it applies. And I'm going to show this out of my life. Something that years ago, several years ago, I found myself very anxious that Northbridge was not in the trajectory of growth that I wanted it to be. Oh, growth, spiritual growth was going fine. People were growing in their faith and things like that. But, but the numbers, I wanted more people to come to Northbridge than were coming. And I was getting very frustrated. You know what my prayer was? My prayer was this. For several months, my prayer was, God, would you grow Northbridge? Would you grow Northbridge? Make more people come to Northbridge. And God, if that doesn't happen, would you put me in another church that's bigger? That was my prayer. God, God, if if Northbridge is refusing to grow, then help me find a parachute. Help me find a way out and get into a church that I feel like I deserve to be in. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not bragging on that prayer. That was a pretty poor prayer. That was the praying in the first mentality of what, you you know, the first case of present your case to God. To, to, you know, don't worry anymore. But I was saying, God, get me out of Northbridge. And that prayer, let me tell you, I'm ashamed that I prayed and I'm being honest with you today that that was on my heart. That was five years ago. Guess what? I'm still here today. I'm still here today. Why is that? Because God showed me that what I did not need was a bigger church. What I needed to do is deal with the desire of why did I want a bigger church? Why did I want a bigger church? And so I began to dig, present my request. Okay, God, I'm saying I want a bigger church, but what's behind that request? And let me tell you what I came to terms with and began praying to God about. As I was saying, God, give me a bigger church. Give me something bigger so that my, and here's what was coming behind. And I'm just sharing this with you honestly and openly as your pastor. My Prayer was, God, I want a bigger church because I want others to see my success. I want others to know that I am worthy of their love. I want others to know that I'm important. I want others to know that I'm a leader among my peers. I want my wife to be super proud of me. I want, my, I want everyone around me to know that I am successful and the sign of success for me is a bigger church. God, I even want you, God, I want you to know my name. I want, I want to know that you know my name, God, and the way that you can show that to me is by giving me a church of a thousand. Now, here's the, the thing. If you find yourself on that treadmill, because, okay, replace church life for a bigger business or more money, 
that's a treadmill, friends. So guess what I found is I've talked to pastors of churches of a thousand. Guess what? If they haven't caught that demon and captured that, then for them their prayer is, God, give me a church of 10,000. Because a thousand, I still don't believe I'm successful. And those pastors, I'm not going to throw a punch. Those pastors of 10,000 churches, guess what? It's God, give me a church of 25,000. God, make me the most important pastor in America. You know, da-da-da-da-da. It's a treadmill. Until you start dealing with, my real prayer request was, God, I feel really insignificant and I think I'm failing. Would you deal with that in my heart? Show me what is success. Show me what it means to be a winner. Show me what it means to have the love and affirmation of people around me. And what, what does that mean? Show me, show me, God, what do you really think of me regardless of circumstances? As I began to, to pray those prayers, guess what I did? I, I came to a place where I knew my Heavenly Father deeper. I experienced His peace in my life. and. I found God in a new way. Here's a great place for you to start. Even start today. If you're still saying, man, that's kind of tough to get my head around. How about this? Just start with this. And you might want to write this down even. In your prayer type, here's how you do your prayer. Father, I need you to blank. Whatever that is. God, I need you to take care of my son, my daughter. God, I need you to give me more money. God, I need you to secure my job. God, I need you to save my marriage. Whatever it is. God, I need you to blank. And if you don't, I'm afraid that blank is going to happen. Friends, when you get to the second section, because many of us, most of us pray that first prayer, God, do this for me. But we don't know what's driving the, and if you don't, I'm afraid that this is going to happen. When you start praying to God and talking about, and God, if you don't deliver for me, I'm afraid. When you start praying that, friends, and start thinking through that, and start dealing with that, here's where God's Word comes alive. The peace of God is going to reign in your life. Many of us can say, Tony, I know what you're talking about. There was that time I was in a situation, the death of a loved one, the, uh, the financial ruin of my life a place where my kids are in turmoil and shambles, and yet in the middle of the cyclone, I felt God's peace come raining down on me. You know what was happening in that person's life, what was happening in your life in that time period? You got beyond the God, give, fix this situation, and it was, God, I need you. God, I need you right now to be in my life. When you are on that level of praying, His peace abounds in your life. So pray until the peace comes, friends. And then you will know your Father on a deeper level. And you will say, it is well with my soul. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, right now, I just, God, I just want to give all of us a chance just to begin practicing this, this technique, this tool that you've placed in our hearts through the agency of the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul. And so, God, I just, I'm going to give a silent time and just hear your people as they say, Father, give me this. And if you don't, I'm afraid that blank will happen. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to grow in it. Help us to. 
to live it out so we'd experience your peace that passes all understanding, to reign supreme in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.